Before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that this information discussed today is not intended to be or construed as investment advice. Please consult a professional advisor before putting a loony in any of these financial markets. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back or have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to the Looney Hour, episode 107. As always, join me the three amigos, Keith Dicker, Patagucci Vest, Rich Diaz, Tom Brady, and Macro. What's going on? Keith. Me? Keith. <laughs> me. I had, so guys, uh, you know, we all, you know, we're always going 100 miles an hour with, with everything. Uh, but I was pretty tired last night. I went to bed at 8 p.m., Rich. 8 p.m. Wow. And guess what time I woke up this morning? 5.30? 8 a.m. What? That's 12 Ooh. hours, Rich. Look at the clock. 12 hours. I feel it's a regular I feel like shift it. for you. <laughs> I know. That's like, Then I got my afternoon nap coming up here soon. Jeez. But uh, No wonder you yeah, look so feel, good. Oh, I feel great today. Look at my look at my eyes. Look. You look, you <laughs> look, good, for, you look good for 68, man. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> it's the Noxema cream. If you put it on before nighttime... It can really help to hydrate your, your skin. How about you, Rich? You're looking pretty hydrated there. I'm very hydrated. I drink lots of water work. Very important. I might have to get up and go to the bathroom halfway through the pot. Uh, no, I'm good, man. Nothing nothing going on. We're moving offices next week, so there's been a bit of a bit, bit crazy around here. But uh, yeah, no, same old, same old. Reading that book we talked about last week. and uh, What, the UBI book? <laughs> no. That's the no, fairy no. tale. That's not a proper yeah, book. Yeah. We'll right. get into that's, that later. That's, that's the fourth that's turning fiction. that you're reading, correct? Fourth yeah, turning? that's right. Reading fourth turning, paying attention to sports. It's the best time of the year. Baseball, football, hockey. Yeah, no. Otherwise, otherwise, just ready to kick off the pod. Loads to talk about this week, so I think we should uh, waste no more time and get right into it. Well, we are uh, our good buddy, friend of the show, Tiff Macklem. Uh, he held rates um, firm at, uh, you know, it was kind of expected, right? We didn't even do a Twinkie bet on this last week. So we kind of, we knew, I guess we all, I guess we're all winners here this week. Um, yeah, it held kind of as expected. Uh, Keith, I don't know, like I watched his press conference. I I would say it was a pretty balanced press conference like i think he's obviously trying to talk up the fact that oh you know we, we're still going to do more hikes if we have to you know the job is not finished but like in in reality i think it's kind of one of the last tools he's got in the toolbox so to speak is to try to talk up markets yeah a couple of, so first of all i was actually doing a, a twitter spaces at the exact same same time as the boc presser so it, w- it was something that was booked a couple of weeks ago so, Rich, I broke my streak for consecutive central bank presser attendees. I didn't know you were doing a Twitter Spaces. I didn't get the invite. Neither did I. Well, I, no. I was the guest. I wasn't the host. This is your other friends? I, this is my other group of friends. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hurt. <laughs> and I, I think I was like invitee number nine, I think, to get to get on it. But uh, so I, I missed the exact uh, conference. Oh, by the way, guys, apologize. I got to jump around here, but I do need to make an announcement before we we jump and make a count of this stuff. Um, 
So for, you know, we have the Toronto event coming up. We need to jump into that first as well, Steve. Maybe you had a few. You want me to tee it up, man? You're all no, over the place today. You think you'd go hour of sleep. You'd be I know. We're all, all it's typical loony hour fashion. Why don't you tee up the event first and then I'll say what I need to say. <laughs> and then okay, we'll go back to the Bank of Canada. Yeah. The, the live event in Toronto uh, is officially confirmed. It's booked. It's happening November 30th at the dawn on Danforth. So East Danforth, for those of you that are local to the gta uh it's a cool venue uh we're gonna sell about 250 tickets that's the gonna gonna holds about 250 so cool theater style uh as usual we take care of the first drink provide you know food appetizers live podcast so it's gonna be, a, be an awesome event um and um so tickets tickets if you're listening to this episode tickets are gonna be live uh on the event bright they're ready to go ready for sale um so there'll be a link in the description in the show notes here to go check that out on the addition to that. If you're listening to this and you're a business owner, business operator, uh, we are looking for one or maybe two more sponsors for the live event. So if you're, you know, wanting to get your, your business and brand out there, uh, to a wide audience, uh, shoot us an email and we're happy to, to discuss, uh, options there. Heath over to you. Maybe, uh, Ottawa can, uh, with their UBI program, can be a sponsor. <laughs> and Rich could wear the, the T-shirt uh, over my dead body. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's not my announcement, by the way. So linked to to all of us coming to Toronto uh, on November 29th, uh, potentially Brent Johnson and myself, we're, we're going to hold a, a private dinner for uh, any investor who is a, a qualified investor. Uh, if you have an interest in that, just send me an email directly and uh, we'll let you know if we're putting it together. So, but it, it is something that we could be doing. So once again, if you have an interest in uh, attending a, a private dinner and you are a qualified investor, send me a note and uh, they will, we'll chat about that as, as we qualified. go through. Qualified. Jeez, more free plugs for IceCap, eh? It's it's qualified, yeah. It's I think we should these. qualify qualified, but um, it's a regulation kind of if, thing that we have to deal with. If, but if that's you don't it. Know Rich, that you are, if you want, you have to have things. quite a few zeros. Let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. That's right. <laughs> um, but zeros. anyways, Keith, after you derailed the whole conversation here, Bank of Canada <laughs> held the rates. What, uh, what was your takeaway? The um, so you know, I think it comes back to was it a hawkish pause or Steve? What's your word for it? A panic pause. The, yeah, I like that one a lot better. What do you like, Rich? The hawkish pause or the panic pause? I think hawkish pause is more appropriate, but panic pause is just legendary. I love that. I know it sells more, but I'm actually more leaning towards Steve here with, with the panic pause. And because uh, it's tied together with the other conversations we have today, about the news coming out of the Canadian banks and the economy and, and stuff like that. So, I mean, for, you know, in the investment world, it, it was... Everyone was expecting a pause yesterday. No one was expecting a hike. If, if they were, it, they were just, you know, they were just simply guessing and trying to become famous by being that one guy that that did it. But uh, the Canadian economy is, is slowing. You can dice up the inflation data, you know, to support it in one direction or the other. But the overriding theme that I think right now the Bank of Canada is quite concerned with is that it, the economy is slowing. I don't know if it's dramatically slowing dramatically or aggressively or, or slow, but you do hit that slippery slope. But, you know, we mentioned before that the central bank is always chatting with, with the big banks. So they always have their ear to what those guys are saying directly and indirectly. 
And I, I think we will get into it in a little bit, but the news coming out of the Canadian banks and their actions, uh, it does suggest that Canada is going closer and closer into not a soft landing or a not a no landing. That's two negatives. Not no. <laughs> yeah. Going. So I so you know, we talked about before what our at IceCap, what our path is, our expected path, and it's going straight down that highway right now. I'm, I'm getting, uh, you know, quite concerned with where we're going. And the Bank of Canada uh, data points yesterday, uh, it, it doesn't give us any comfort that we're going to be wrong because we want to be wrong. So, as an example, I'm sure Rich, you have the data there as well. But you look at what their growth estimates are for yeah. rest of this year and, and next year, and it's like we talked about before. There's never a recession coming. Like a good old business cycle, that's for chumps. That doesn't exist anymore. Well, so I might have I, to correct you on that, by the way, when it's my turn. But keep going, finish up. Go. What are you correcting me on? The chumps? We're not. No, chumps. no, that we're definitely not chumps. But it's funny because you said that they don't they don't predict a recession, but in their outlook or their forecast or what have you, there's a sort of a range. So that's what central banks are often do, or people who provide sort of forecasts, and they'll say, you know, the range is zero point. Sorry, the target is for next year is going to be zero point eight, but their confidence interval is larger than one. And so implicit in that is a decline in GDP over the next year. So I thought that was kind of a, a funny wrinkle that I noticed in their monetary policy report. Well, That's a I'm, good point. I didn't see that because I was on Twitter spaces. There's more things to yeah. add to that, which is like they don't have. So obviously, you know, Keith, to your point, they're not necessarily projecting a recession, but they are projecting very low and weak growth. Um, but they don't have inflation getting back to target until... 2025 so i think i think like middle middle of 2025 it looks like but like to that point right i mean everybody needs to take these like with a grain of salt um again if you're not projecting recession now if you do get more of a harder landing obviously that's probably going to pull cpi down you know further and quicker so keep hey, in Steve, mind these are, have these you noticed how the year 2025 is back in play because back in 2020 didn't they didn't the bank yeah. of canada not suggest what explicitly directly told everyone rates will not go higher until at least what's the 24 maybe it was the end of 2023 it was like 2024 or something they're gonna start hiking. yeah i think they're just doing a fine and replace with with the year to, to switch it up but uh so what were your thoughts then steve overall like were you were you from a um, from your desk was it more encouraging that maybe the pain has stopped in in the housing market I mean, I wouldn't say that. I think that um, I think housing is really struggling right now. I think like one thing I keep kind of pointing out to people, and I know, I know Toronto, I can tell you like unequivocally that Toronto is the hardest hit market in Canada, like I would say by a decent margin. Um, you know, Vancouver's definitely struggling right now, but what we're seeing is really that the good houses, things that people want, moving ready houses, right price point, those are still selling well. They're selling quick and they're selling for like, I wouldn't say top dollar, but pretty close to it. But then you have the rest of the market, which is like literally going no bid. And so, of course, when those houses go no bid, they're just not selling. They're languishing on the market for many, many months. Those don't show up in your home, the, on your price indexes. So on the surface, it might look like, you know, you see the odd sale come through. You look at the at median or average or the benchmark price and everything looks pretty good. 
where it looks like prices are not really dropping. But in reality, like I said, there's a huge chunk of the market that is going no bid. And um, so that's kind of where we're at now. But I think to the Bank of Canada's, you know, Rich, one of the things that um, Carolyn Rogers was asked there, uh, the deputy chief uh, governor there at the BOC um, was, you know, hey, housing, what's going on with housing? Why is it, you know, why has it been so resilient? And she flagged housing supply uh, as as the main reason that house prices are holding up this cycle, despite 500 basis points and rate hikes. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's but you said, I mean, it's about the bid. It's about the index construction. We know that there's a bit, there's some faults in that. Um, the things that I, I thought were interesting that uh, we talked about the hawkish pause, but I think it's important to sort of read the language they used, which is, you know, the the governing council's concern that progress towards price stability is slow and inflationary risks have increased and is prepared to raise the policy rate further if needed. So I think that the rea- I think that the reality is is well my my takeaway is that they'd like to raise interest rates higher, but for the uh, reasons that we've outlined many times before on the pod, which um which is the fact that, you know, there's lots of debt in the system, house prices or housing is under a lot of pressure, a lot of people's mortgages are tied to the short end of the curve, um short-term interest rates. I don't think that they can um, we know that they've talked about deficit spending before. They didn't explicitly mention that in in the um, in the statement, but they did bring back the word population, which I thought was funny. So after I think it was a one month or two month hiatus, remember they talked about it all summer. Then it, it hit the CBC airwaves, and then they stopped talking about it. And then now it's back on um, into the um, now it's back in the in the in the presser. Sorry, in the in the in the statement that they release every time that they make a decision or don't make a decision. Um, the other thing, things that I thought was interesting is they blamed Russia for food prices, which I thought was a little bit rich. Um, I thought it was the CEOs. Oh, anyways, I just like, come on, people, uh, which I thought, yeah, so that was um, that was kind of funny. I just thought yeah, it's a little bit of a tidbit there. So who, was funny. which who has the biggest uh, budget allocated towards them, the, the Bank of Canada or the CBC? I'm serious. I don't know the answer. Surely it takes way less than $1.6 billion to run the Bank of Canada, right? I have no idea. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I have no idea. But we'll have to look it up. Stay tuned for next week. But there's a couple more things I want to say, which was we, we we alluded to like the forecast, but I think it's really important because with the policy, with, um, with the, the statement on monetary policy, they released the monetary policy report. And Steve, sorry if I'm jumping, on, jumping ahead. No, go for this. it. Which is, I think, what was important is the official slashed third quarter gross domestic product by nearly half to 0.8, which is significant. Remember, if your population is growing a lot and your and your GDP not and your real GDP growth is that low, it means you're we're all getting poorer. And so again, I think we're already in that recession, something we've discussed before. And then it says they also revised the growth for its um, for this year to 1.2 and next year. Uh, to 0.9. So, I mean, just more of the same. And we're going to get into another indicator that I think is interesting and that we've discussed many times, which is the CFIB. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's just a very, it, it's a, si- a situation where I think they want to cut interest rates or at least want to be dovish. But because there are still so many inflation impulses from energy, from deficit spending, from population growth, they can't. And then they also cannot raise interest rates much more because 
Canada's a highly levered economy. We don't have any productivity growth. And we are, um, and all that leverage is in, in the housing sector and people are getting squeezed. So they're, they're what is it? A rock between a rock and a hard place. I think he, that's the situation we find ourselves Tiff, in. Tiff Macklem did flag in his press conference in his, in his, his speech there in, in Q&A period. Um, he did flag productivity growth several times. So oh, clearly cool. clearly they know it's it's a real issue in Canada. Yeah. Um, a couple other interesting comments here from Tiff. Uh, quotes, Keith, you like this one. Uh, he says the path to a soft landing is narrow in our new projection. That path is narrower. <laughs> I, I did see that. I, I did. Uh, That's I think they listen to the lunar. So we always talk I, about the path as well, right? The journey we're going to take, you know, and the path, not Aerosmith, but journey, you know, the, yeah, the Frodo. Uh, Who's for Frodo? some people or maybe, you know, maybe <laughs> listeners who don't are not quite into the central bank talking stuff, just to give you an analogy of what's, in, in my view, what's happening at the uh, Bank of Canada now. And this is, Steve, this is like one of these classic or very bad boomer analogies that I'd all oh make. Boy. Strap I think in. it's a good one. Let me know what you, what you think. When Remember the movie um, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? Yep. Yes, were you guys old enough to, were you old enough to so. see that then? I don't yeah. remember it. Really, I don't remember it going. either. Remember the Randy Quaid? Yeah. character yeah yeah you know the 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 the, the brother the father Martha. right no 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 the no the, dennis the dad is clark griswold right that's right that's right yeah the um but randy quaid he played this uh i think he was the, the brother-in-law or cousin distant cousin and he had this this huge uh mobile like rv which we have to talk about rv portfolios in a little bit he's parked out in front of the neighborhood and clark comes out one morning and there's randy quaid standing up and he has this the big pump coming out of the uh the, like the sewage pipe from the rv and it's just spewing this stuff down the drain and clark is like what's what are you doing what's going on and randy quaid says the shitter is full the shitter is <laughs> full i think the bank of canada right now it's full they're like you say they're in a really hard spot uh they can't raise rates anymore if they raise rates it's just gonna tip the consumer over aggressively the banks are already screaming uncle like the i mean you were getting indications of that right now we're gonna get into that we're gonna get into yeah. that but, Keith, but uh... they have to come out and say that hey we're you know things are going as we expected and this is what we thought would happen but we can we can always raise rates again if, if we need to <laughs> That's that's where they are. They're in a really tough spot. So I think Randy Quaid is actually living in Canada these days. So maybe he should, you know, move to Toronto and join the uh, Bank of Canada to help those guys out. Got to flush the system, Rich. Flush it right out. out. That was a horrible analogy. Um, I actually like. I'm more confused. (laughs) I'm more confused than I was before. But I feel like it's one of those situations when your parents sort of threaten you. They know that it's like an empty threat. What they want, they don't. What they don't want, I think, is like the OIS market or the bond market to start pricing in rate cuts anytime soon because that might you know spur on some like speculation or or whatever and but they can't raise interest rates for reasons we discussed and so I think that they're just like wait till your dad gets home you know like that kind of attitude where they're, they're trying to bully the market into behaving daddy um, tiff daddy tiff but anyway um yeah well he also they also mentioned um you know one of the reasons again for for holding rates which is what we've talked about on the show quite a bit was quote the recent surge in global bond yields um weighing on demand so obviously the longer end of the curve doing a lot of the the legwork for the bank of canada uh clearly tightening financial conditions which you know i think 
for Canadians anyways, most apparent would be in your mortgage rates. Um, seeing the long end of your, you know, your three-year, four-year, five-year mortgage rates have obviously been pushing up. Um, There's really a little wrinkle the in there. There's a little wrinkle in there because for the single most important consumer in the world, that hasn't affected them at all, right? The U.S. consumer, U.S. households, the most important household in the world until China eventually takes over, maybe. But for that that ten year bond, that ain't gonna happen, man. <laughs> all right, whatever. Bricks. Um, but um, cue, but my wait, that's when we, uh, we we cue the panda in the room to come in and just like knock Rich in the head uh, okay. back and forth. Um, but we need the uh, laugh. That's where we need the laugh track. <laughs> Can we get someone to dress up as a panda for the Toronto event? That would be amazing, actually. That anyone amazing. listening who has a panda outfit must be okay. Well, wait a second. There. Let me let me just say it so that the 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 ten year bond yield surging to whatever it is has no effect on the U.S. consumer, in my view. Not really, not in the way it might have in other countries that have uh, much more short term liability. So, all right, Steve, get back to it. <laughs> Well, I, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I think ultimately we've covered enough of the Bank of Canada here. Um, Keith, we also had the ECB, though. The ECB held rates today as of this recording Thursday. Yeah, I know. I did listen to or watch their uh, their, their presser. Uh, it was kind of similar to the Canadian one. Like There were no shocks from it at all. Actually, the, the irony was this one was held in Athens. And, uh, you know, like Christine Lagarde and East, like they were, they're most... Like she's a political animal. She's probably one of the best on the planet at being a political animal, and uh, very charismatic and all that. But she starts the conference. Uh, sorry, starts the presser. The first question goes to uh, a reporter from the local country who's hosting it, because there, are, I think there are nineteen countries in the eurozone or twenty. I don't know what it is. Nineteen. Right now. Nineteen. The nineteen. Yeah. And um, and. <laughs> Anyway, so the Greek guy asked the question, and right away she says, "By the way, I'd like to thank you, uh, Greece, for being such wonderful hosts, and also for Greece as a country and economy. You are now leading by example for the entire eurozone, and we all aspire to be as, as fiscally sound as as you." Uh, to which, you know, I, I would have spit out my my coffee at the time. You know, you think about it. So, if right now, if the Greeks are deemed to be one of the most fiscally responsible members of the eurozone. It's time to sell that mother. <laughs> okay. I can't speak to the fiscal position, but their industrial production has absolutely outpaced the Germans for a while, which I think is kind of an ironic. Um, you'd be enjoy- you'll but be it goes back to, to anything. You always have to separate, you know, the income statement, which is production and everything from your balance sheet. Yeah. And I think the challenge with Greece and, you know, other, uh, you know, other countries and economies that if, if you borrow too much money, you know, at some point that breaks everything else. So I always laugh when people would say, oh, yeah, you know, Italy is outstanding if you exclude all the debt. <laughs> it goes together. It goes together. But for the ECB today, guys, uh, they had no rate hike. There, there was no differences. The exact same message to clue it up. They said, they said, hey, well, we're, we will raise again. We, we warn you, we will do it. Uh, but they're not going to do it. I think... Are they done um, as well? Like, what's the market? I'm just curious where, where the market pricing. I think they've got what the Bank of Canada has got 15% odds for another hike. Yeah. This calendar effectively year. zero. Effectively zero. Yeah. The yeah. work. I think the work. if the, you know, if, if the Middle East uh, conflict between Hamas and Israel, uh, I, I think that's going to accelerate dramatically any day here. And once that happens, I, I think Euro is, is probably the most vulnerable currency out there right now 
they, they, they literally get boxed in on all sides from an economic perspective. So I, I'm not expecting, uh, you know, the Euro ECB and Eurozone to be a, an outstanding opportunity. That's so Keith, Steve, wanna... Steve, they, um, before you go on, go sorry, they, they've, uh, all of the rate hikes have been priced out of the market. So now there's zero expectations and there's a cut basically expected in the middle of next year. Now this is for Canada. Sorry for that. That's for ECB. Excuse me. Sorry. I thought you were asking about this ECB. So which, which, which really means though, there's only one guy out there, one country that's they're They're going to hike again. They're coming up another hike. We're talking about the Americans and every time they keep them generally curious. Do you think the fed, if you were a betting man, you think the fed's got what one more, two more, what do you think they got? Could be all three, you, you know. You don't know at this point because they. I think it's similar to 2018 in, in a way, in that they'll continue to keep hiking as long as they can. Because the reason they got stopped out in 2018, back then they were hiking 25 basis points. I think every other meeting. I think that's what it was. And uh, eventually they had to stop because they created so much stress for the for the emerging market world and, and everywhere else. I, I think that's the exact same path we're going because everyone else is now. You know, they got the panic pause going on. It's going to be really difficult to continue hiking, but the Fed will continue to do it. And, and remember, everyone, that the Fed is the world's reserve currency. That's why Canada's different. The Europeans are different and the Brits and all that. And I mean, if you're looking at currency movements over the last three weeks, that, that the dollar is just this, you know, we heard the concept with a wrecking ball. It's just knocking the crap out of everything. And if they continue going on that path, it, it's, it will continue to do that i mean one thing that the challenge with canada right now i mean um you know i think a lot of people are asking about the currency steve i think you brought that up earlier and i, th- I think if you know you know we don't we're not providing investment advice in the podcast and all that but if, if we have a normal economic downturn and like this is probably the high for canadian dollar where it is right now so we're at 73 cents here right now i think in, in the december contract um, I think we were at 78, maybe a couple of months ago. Is that about right? Wait, what does Six that months? mean? You mean 138? <laughs> uh, oh, the inverse. So I'm looking at. I did, I got... <laughs> so for everyone I else out what 78 means. <laughs> so right now, the Canadian dollar is around 72 cents. If you want to round okay. it down, I'm saying it was around 78 cents a, a while okay. back. Um, I, I think if we hit a normal economic downturn, Canadian dollar goes into the, you'll see a six handle in front of it. Uh, but the challenge, of course, is that this downturn, it just won't be specific to Canada. Like the like the Europeans will have it. Germany is a, in a death spiral as well. I, I, again, I, I'm, you know, I, you know, we're we're well positioned for this right now. And, you know, we're, we're having fun with it. But I, I think that if the Canadian dollar continues to weaken, so this is something that, Canadian, that Bank of Canada will talk about. All of a sudden, then with the weak currency and your largest trading partner is the one with the strongest currency, uh, you know, it helps exports. But anything that we're importing, it, it's going to cause inflation to be kind of sticky. So who will Ottawa call in then to yell at? Will they call in the Fed? Joe, Joe Biden, Sleepy Joe. <laughs> Joe's on the beach, man. He's not coming out. They're going to blame us, maybe. Hopefully. That'll be fun. So, I yeah. I mean, well, Keith, I mean, a lot of people have been, yeah, obviously, like anytime Bank of Canada seemingly holds or does the panic pause, um, you know, the, the Twitter replies all freak out about the Canadian dollar. And, and and I get it, rightfully so. But I think I think you've kind of highlighted an important point, which is pretty much 
all the other central banks at this point are also on hold other than probably maybe the Fed. And I just don't think it's realistic that anyone's going to be able to keep up with them. And so, because I think, I think, I mean, Rich, you might like, you might have some comments on this as well, but I think you have to kind of look at Canadian dollar as, as a basket of currencies against, against, against a basket of currencies. I think that's my view. I think we're not anywhere near like as vulnerable to Europe uh, or Euro or the yen, which is, you know, hitting 150. But that's, I mean, as Keith will say, that's because those other countries are, are even worse in Canada's situation. Um, I think the, I think the Fed might be closer to people to being done be, just because of the change in what's happening in the yield curve. So we, we discussed the yield curve before, which is, let's say, you know, you have different types of maturities for different bonds, one year or actually probably three months, you know, two year, four months, uh, sorry, four year, five years, et cetera, all the way to 10 year. You can have a 30 year bond, I think. I'm not sure that they do that anymore, actually. Anyways, um, and obviously the shape of the yield curve. So, you know, what what percentage, what your yield to maturity is for each of the bonds along that sort of you get curve. And for a while there, we were inverted. And I still think we are. But it's the shape and direction of those moves that matters a lot, and especially as far as predicting recessions and 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 as financial conditions are concerned. And what we've actually seen over the last, let's say, three months or two months is the 10-year bond yield starting to rise and the two-year bond yield, let's say, for argument's sake, is flat. And what that means is you're getting some term premium getting priced back into the market. And what that means, sorry to go on, but this is an important point here, and this is what we talk about at work all the time, is that if that term premium continues to rise, you don't necessarily need to be as hawkish on the front end of the curve because that term premium starts to um, you know, uh, curtail financial conditions, affects valuations of stocks, and, and that's what we're seeing. That term premium is now positive. For a long time, it was negative. So that's an important point. And I think that that's where you get um, that's you. That's where that. That's the basically the basis of the argument that you know that Powell will continue to be hawkish, but they're probably they may be done um, if that term premium continues to rise. Creating visual content is an essential part of what I do, but the creative process hasn't always been easy. That is until we discovered Canva. The Looney Hour uses Canva to create images for our podcast thumbnails and signage for our live events. Designing custom artwork using Canva is so easy, even the boomer can do it. Canva for Teams is a design platform that makes it easy for anyone to create stunning content in any format, from social media posts to videos, presentations, and websites. Ever since I found Canva for Teams, it's been easy to collaborate and design with the team, which makes the whole process so much more creative and fun. We've also used Canva to collab with our marketing team around the world to design cover art for our podcast. It's super easy to drag and drop logos and create professional looking content using Canva for Teams. Design and collaborate with Canva for Teams. Right now, you can get a free 45-day extended trial when you go to canva.me slash looneyhour. That's canva.me slash looneyhour for a free 45-day extended trial. Canva.me slash looneyhour. We also call that the, it's uh, a bull sneaker. So if anyone is doing you know, finance-related courses. And hey, yeah. the CFA uh, pass marks came out this week. Yeah, they fell level again. Three. Yeah, it's, uh, it's like Very 50 hard. That's CFA level two. Or... The bull steepener is in CFA level two. That's what you learned there. But it's in level two. The, uh, what uh, level is this guy again? <laughs> me? Yeah, he's or Rich. Got it right back Rich there. is like I'm... level nine. No. <laughs> Actually, why is he on the wall? For him. See, that, make fun see that diploma back there <laughs> over this shoulder? There's only three levels, and uh, I'm in good standing for now <laughs> until they make me do ESG stuff. <laughs> so my CFA registration number is like uh, 0014. Yeah, you're <laughs> the OG. 
Mine's in the hundreds of thousands, but um, no, but that's a really important, I think that's a really important point about the term premium. Um, you know, the extra return that you get for the number of years um, to maturity or the duration of your bond. Um, and that, that's something I, I have something extra on. to say about the extra. Uh -oh. Go yeah. for it. It's good. It's positive. So normally in a, in a bull steepener, you know, we're, we're going down that path. Okay. Steve is rolling his eyes. He's like, oh God, here we go. <laughs> But when, when that's happening, it's normally so people are selling long bonds because they'd rather take the money allocated, you know, to risky markets, you know, over equity markets and stuff like that. Uh, that ain't happening right now. Right. So right now we have this very unusual situation where, you know, long bonds are, are getting uh, mullered. You know, the stock market is getting mullered. And uh, so we have to appreciate this. This is a bit of a unique situation. So right now, just using the the long bond as, as a proxy in, in Canada, um, th this is down almost 40%. This is excluding coupons. We're down about 40% since the peak in, in 2020. So that's a pretty you know, dramatic Ouch. decline. And the big risk, and we, I think we've all been pretty accurate with our views on the bond market, you know, since we've been chatting about it. All of these, anyone who's holding bonds right now in a mutual fund of some kind or an ETF or whatever, the, the losses so far have been based on duration. So that, that's long-term rates going up. The next wave that we suspect will happen will come from credit spreads blowing out. Because, Rich, you've been very correct in pointing out that credit spreads are okay. You know, they, they haven't blown out yet. But if that happens next, all of a sudden, then you're going to have, you know, not three years of losses in the bond market, like it'll, it'll get extended out. Uh, so this this is really something that we're we're watching, we're, we're really interested in, because we, we don't have any exposure to credit markets. But, you know, it, it could be setting up for, you know, a really one of these great opportunities of a uh, an investment cycle. So you know, even though there's lots of uh, maybe heartache out there, it, it's it always creates opportunity if if you have the liquidity available. And Steve, you were talking about liquidity earlier in the housing market. In fact, you say, "Hey, there's no bid." That means there's no liquidity for something. So it, it is important to uh, to keep that. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking. You know, we've obviously talked a lot about the carnage in the bond market, and you know we've gotten rates this high and nothing yet has really blown up, but it doesn't mean that balance sheets aren't impaired. Um, you know, whether you're talking about Canadian housing or you're talking about, you know, for example, Canadian banks, um, you know, and, and so, you know, we're starting to see obviously more and more layoffs at Canadian banks trying to shore up their balance sheet. And, um, you know, Keith, we had, you, you pointed out this week, uh, BMO selling their, their portfolio of, uh, RV, RV loans, which yeah. is uh, did, did you see that as well, Rich? Did you see that yeah, on the yeah. news screen? Yeah, this is the second one of these, right, Keith? I think a couple of weeks ago it was like a car auto loans. I think that somebody sold. Yeah, oh, yeah, I think, BMO, right. I think no, BMO exited. I think BMO exited car loans, and now they're selling their RV loans. Okay, so I did hear. I believe. Yeah, but they both have four wheels, right? So can you just <laughs> all call them? If... Some cars like... have three wheels. <laughs> RVs are like. So I've been researching these RVs now for years. Like it's my dream to get one of those. Come on, you can do better than that. Yeah, that'd be awesome. We could do a Looney Hour Road Show. I'd love to. Like one of those Mercedes Sprinter, you know, vans they have, and you get it souped up a little bit. But I can see me and Willis and 
Mrs. Ice Cap won't come. She, she's not into it. We'll come. Maybe, we'll that's what we should, maybe that's we what we should do doing with the loony hour uh, bank account there. We should go and buy a distressed RV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we go for the... No, actually, that's that's something we, we, we could do. We have a nice do. paint job. It'd be, It'd be a really cool paint job. We can barbecue off the back. Oh, my God. We can, flames we can do tailgating. On we can do tailgating. Um, I call it shotgun. Yeah. <laughs> flames, drive. And, flames on the side, <laughs> yeah. some racing stuff. Uh, but back to something a bit more uh, actually, it's the same, but we're both serious on each one, right? <laughs> having a 20 hour RV versus BMO not having them. So, when um, I think I tweeted this out earlier this morning, but banks are very different companies than every other company we have in our global economy. And what I mean by that, they provide credit for everyone else to do stuff. That, that, that's all of this. So they create money to flow around for people through lending. And what we're seeing now, the actions by banks, especially here in Canada, is that their their lending is slowing. The cost of lending is rising. They are, as we just talked about, the RV portfolio, they're selling off loan portfolios. And you only sell off a loan portfolio for two reasons. One is if you actually need to raise capital. So you want to reduce your leverage and all that. Or two, you think, oh boy, all these yahoos that used uh, their money back in 2020 to buy RVs, they're not going to be able to pay it back. So let, let's get this out. Uh, so you have that happening. And then at the same time, we're seeing these layoff uh, announcements by banks as well. So banks are withdrawing from the economy right now. And it's at a very slow pace. People say, yeah, their jobs and losses, you know, there's like 3%, big deal. It doesn't matter. It's the it's the signal that they're sending to everyone else, and it's been going on like this for a while. Because remember, we've been talking about the um, the the loan loss provisioning uh, line item on, on their uh, income statements over the last few quarters. We, we've been, I think, we were first on that, right, Rich? You're right. We were. We were. We were pretty good with it. Uh, now it's all starting to tie up together here. So. Uh, Keep watching, you know. If you see the Looney Hour pull into the the, the dawn on Danforth in a <laughs> that'd be amazing. But let's wait. Let's RV. Let's just link it back to sort of more of a sort of a holistic view of that because you know this is just a sort of a signal. We always look at these like nuggets, you know, like Hansel and Gretel picking up these little crumbs of data as as we sort of walk down this path, this journey, right, Keith? Um, and and it's and and this speaks to sort of a mistake that I think we actually um, we made sort of last year, and you know, just we've been talking about a lot of the stuff that we got right. Well, one of the things that we got wrong is the pace at which a lot of this pain would come and i think we when when the when the rate hike started we were like okay that's it people are just going to fold up and and start stop spending and what have you and i think that there was a lot more sort of um room in these balance sheets and in these cash flows for households and whatever to absorb this pain and i think that the whether it's you know whether it's the crappy uh retail sales numbers which i think steve was going to get into a little later whether it's um you know, whether it's the RV situation, whether it's the uh, weak housing market, you know, we talked about debt service ratios and how they would rise. Well, and also just it takes, you know, people are stubborn. I think you gave us a story, Steve, about how people in the insolvency the and insolvency lawyers or insolvency have, trusts. Yeah, no, I insolvency is like near and dear to my heart because I have a family that was that worked yeah. in that line of business. Yeah. So I just hearing the stories uh, as a kid growing up and, and how people react and how they abuse money um yeah but anyway i just wanted to say that i think we just we were a little bit early to that story and i think it's that those debt servicing costs and the squeeze on people's household incomes 
and their savings running out. And I think that that's it all sort of wraps up together into that story of slower growth, um, sort of weaker prospect, weaker consumer confidence, weaker business confidence. Maybe we can get into that a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's just it's sort of all the sort of the same little nuggets on on that path. Really. Well, well, I think like I mean, I think anyone in in you know financial markets. I think this is this cycle. I think has been humbling. I mean, it's certainly been humbling for me. I, I think that you know it's interesting just hearing all the the smart people on Twitter um, having healthy debates about you know what why the cycle hasn't turned down or why why it's still going and and there doesn't seem to be any sort of real consensus. It's just like this. It's been it's incredible that we've had as many hikes as we had, and nothing has truly broken yet. But I think it kind of points to the unbelievable amount of stimulus that was pumped into the economy, into the global economy during the pandemic that like, we're still kind of coming off of that sugar high because it was just, it was just so overdone and the direct transfers to households, uh, you know, the government spending the, it was, it was insane. The savings. So maybe, maybe it's just taking lot longer to work all that excess out of the system. Yeah. I mean, so like we we chat with a lot of people, uh, you know, every week across the country, and the you know the overriding message we're hearing is it's it's not one of, you know, it's not that everything is awesome. It's that it's it is getting tighter and tighter. Everyone has the anecdotal story that you know, it it is really tough out there. So I think what's happening, everyone is just working harder. So if you work more hours stuff like that, you, you do that to try to maintain your your household income. Or you're just pulling spending away from from something else, you know, to keep the main things going. But I'm not hearing, you know, the, the, these great success stories for everyone out there. You know, there are always going to be individual pockets of, of success. But a, again, uh, I know, I know, I'm not, I'm being a, you know, negative uh, with the outlook right now. But we we've crossed this line where it it does. Uh, it 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 feels like we're we're going down to the back end here into the end of the year. Well, so yeah, can I we jump should... in and talk about? Oh, sorry, go ahead. I just... Well, I was just gonna say, I think we should walk through, you know, some of the numbers, which is yeah, you know, in Canada, you look at you our Canadian retail sales, and and again for September they came in flat, you know, zero growth, um, which just for those that uh, you know are following along at home, you need about 06 percent. Grow on a growth on a monthly basis just to maintain the the level of spending in the economy because you know think again think about prices are going up so you have to adjust for inflation and you have to adjust for the record population growth that we have in this country so you need to see retail sales growing about 0.5 to 0.6 percent per month just to maintain what you already have so the fact that you have zero growth means again rich as you've highlighted for you know since day one on this podcast um, real per capita spending in this country is is peaked what four or five years ago 2018 19 yeah i think it was 2018 yeah 20 yeah that's right oh my goodness it is actually 2019 it was four years ago crazy you've been doing this for four years (laughs) no no it's a chart that i shared oh by the way someone else stole one of my charts it's flat but there's just another thing that i think just going on that more data that came out which was the cfib which is the confederation oh 
Yeah, the Canadian <laughs> Federation of Independent Businesses. <laughs> Anyways, um, they do a study every month and they uh, obviously ask independent businesses and they ask about, you know, labor shortages, uh, management, uh, time constraints, shortage of working capital, you know, limited space. I'm not going to read them all. And for basically, for as long as I've been looking at this series, let's say the last three or four years now, shortages of skilled labor and unskilled labor have been the, the most pressing um, factor limiting the, you know, small businesses ability to increase sales or production. And I, I think that might've happened last month, but I missed it. And this month it's insufficient domestic demand that actually is now in second place, which I think is sort of a really, really fascinating number. And it's also sort of corroborates our sort of negative view and, and the drop was incredible. So, you know, um, it comes up monthly and, you know, it's the, it basically took, to quote them, uh, the business performance dropped 1.5 points to 47.2, a very low reading for the indicator. So you, the only time you've ever seen worse numbers is obviously in the, when the Corona lockdowns happen and in 2008, nine, and, and we often talk about trends and the trend is not your friend. It looks, it looks horrible, really. So that's another. Speaking of, speaking of acronyms. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of acronyms, I, I think I have one that might be a solution to all the, the challenges. Okay, go on. UBI. Any uh, thoughts yes. on that, Rich? Wow. Oh, can not I yet. get into not this, yet. please? Not yet. Okay, not yet. So on the um, <clears throat> on the retail spending, though, right? So zero. It's interesting because, you know, you look at uh, US GDP numbers that just came out uh, today for what, Q3? Um yep incredibly strong but then you look at a bunch you look at the earnings this week um so ups right i mean delivering consumer good parcels around the world uh you know horrible horrible earnings uh cp and cn rail here in canada you know marking a noticeable slowdown uh on their end hasbro toys um saying sales are are really weak heading into the busier holiday season so you know you look at all these sort of large consumer good facing companies um and they're just denoting all this 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 weakness in demand yet again you see these gdp numbers come in higher than anyone's expectations and and everyone just says well clearly rate hikes haven't yet filtered through or maybe the data is just incredibly lagging i don't know what it is but it really seems like it's really hard to square i think it's a combination of both Remember, GDP is um, so we're already in midway through Q4, um, and this data is for Q3. Um, but that 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 those numbers are unambiguously good. You can, I mean, you know, annualized GDP growth of four point nine percent in the U.S. Personal consumption was four, up from zero point eight. You know, you had durable goods orders um, were really strong, um, four point seven. X transportation were really strong. I mean, just a, across the board. The problem is the, the market's not speaking to that at all. You know, you, you have, uh, you know, we always talk about the S&P 500, which is dominated by, you know, seven companies. I think it's like 25% of market cap. I mean, you know them. I don't need to tell them, you know, them Googles and the Facebooks or whatever it is. But then you look at the Russell 2000, which is a smaller cap company, still quite large and billions of dollars in market cap, but much smaller. And that's continuing to make fresh lows. And that's maybe speaking to the sort of the, you know, the disconnect between sort of these lagging hard data numbers and then the expectations of what's going to come next. Um, Keith, did you have some add on that? It's just it's kind of weird and also sort of makes sense in a, in a way. Yeah, I think you touched on it. I mean, uh, we, we've talked before that it, 
it was our expectation for equities to come off in the, in the second half. And that's, that's where we're going. And, you know, people say equities are forward looking and stuff like that. It, it is, but it's also, you have this greed factor all yeah. the time. So if it, it doesn't matter what you think the company might make in earnings, like we're, we're not valuation guys, you know, we don't believe in that. Well, watch the CFA diploma explode behind me. Poof, gone. <laughs> But you know, it's always our view that if if you if interest rates are twenty five percent, like are you going to borrow twenty five percent to invest? The answer is yes. If you feel you can make a lot more than than twenty five percent, right? So right now, with, with the action in, in equities, and people made a lot of money in the first half of the year, maybe you know seven or eight months, whatever it was, and now you're hey, you're taking money off. You know, they you you shoot first, ask questions later. And, and it starts to, it gains momentum, you know, it's like that snowball going down the hill. And and again, like how much further this will go right now, it it may not be a like an index level. Maybe it's a time level that we need to go through. But there is, a, as you're pointing out, like there's a huge disconnect between what financial markets are telling us because, you know, the, the bond market is, you know, is getting mullered. The stock market is getting mullered. Every currency is getting mullered. You know, it, it, it's something very unusual. Not unusual. Everything is synchronized. It's happening. Yet, here's the Fed looking at a, a GDP number. As remember, if you look at the Atlanta Now data from maybe mm-hmm. four months ago. Yeah, we I talked about it last were, week. Yeah, they were expecting, initially it was like 0%, right? For Q3 almost. Like, it was a very low number. And, it, you know, the quarter ended that 4.9. That's, so if you're the Fed and... You know, they look at GDP, they put a lot of, a lot of emphasis on it. So even economy growing at 5% in real terms, right? Because it's a real GDP number. And at, at the same time, um, you know, a lot of data points, they're not too bad. Like they're, they're okay. And for people calling for the Fed that, hey, they need to cut rates, like that ain't going to happen right yeah. now. Maybe later on next year, like if something happens. But they have every reason to remain hawkish and raise rates. And again, I think it's a replay of 2018, but with a lot more drama, you know, coming up. <laughs> yeah. And it won't be like National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation drama, because that was fun, right? That was that was cool. This might be something different. Hopefully our hopefully Steve our, didn't our see RV. that movie. Steve doesn't even grin when I when I share the name of that. Hopefully movie. our our RV doesn't uh, get backlogged there too. That's right. What size should we get? Like one of the like extra length? I want my own like... bed. <laughs> I'm a big fan of the top bunk above the uh, above the driver. That's a good one. <laughs> so, okay, let's. Uh, are we going to do UBI now? UBI, well, or continue talking about the RV that we're we're definitely going to buy. Well, we've been flagging a few risks, which is uh, obviously the pan in the room. So the uh, the CEO of HSBC uh, was out this week warning that the world is, quote, at a tipping point on debt that threatens to spark a global reckoning after years of government borrowing binges. Um, so that's HSBC, which is obviously uh, pretty- and, and By the way, they have a huge incentive to say that. Like if you're yeah. a, one of the biggest banks and you're, you know, your balance sheet is stuffed with debt, the last thing you want is is a debt crisis because you know it's it's a, it's not a good metric for your bonuses at year end. And just I think somebody else uh, I think people should realize as well uh, whether they know it or not. 
HSBC is, is the unofficial bank of the PBOC, so of, of China and the CCP. They, they get half their business from those guys. And uh, they, they, you always have to look at them for what they're saying and not saying. That is not a Western bank anymore. That That is a Chinese-focused centric bank. You know, one of the things I'm kind of curious just to kind of keep an eye on is the uh, the ongoing currency devaluation in China there. And uh, if that's going to result in a bunch of capital outflows. Already, uh, so, I mean, the capitals have already happened. Um, I think I've read somewhere that the the biggest we had the biggest capital outflow since 2016, um, as overseas funds cut their holdings of China Chinese bonds in September. So, yeah, so that was a huge driver of obviously the uh, foreign buyer boom here in Vancouver in 2015, 2016, Toronto as well. But uh, to be honest, I haven't really seen any of that uh, excess in the market today. So I just, I'm always curious to sort of see how that might impact things. Maybe, maybe they'll buy the RV portfolio and <laughs> you know, become mobile. Now, can we do the UBI? I, I can't wait to hear about the UBI. I'm <laughs> All right, Rich, for I'll, the UBI. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tee up for this one. Um, so for those that have been following along and social media, it's good. I mean, I've been a little bit blown out of proportion, but Canada, uh, the Senate has proposed, um, a, a universal basic income UBI bill. Um, and so now it has to gets proposed through Senate. So the, the, the Senate, the Senator that proposed it was ultimately appointed by Justin Trudeau and her along with an NDP uh, MLA had put this bill forward. So basically how that works is the Senate has to essentially approve the bill. And if they vote and approve it, then it goes to the house of commons for them to obviously vote on. So there's been a lot of concerns about even this being mentioned of the UBI. And and so, you know, I think Rich and I had both tweeted about it. And obviously, uh, there are some interesting replies. A lot of people seemingly have not learned their lesson during the pandemic of what happens when you start stroking checks to households um, and the 40-year highs of inflation that have since followed. But Rich, you've uh, done more due diligence and research on this than I have. Yeah, so I think what, what I promised was to sort of explain what UBI is, um, highlight some of the proposed benefits of it, and then tell and explain to people why I think it's a terrible idea. Um, so UBI stands for Universal Basic Income. Um, it's a social security program where all citizens of the country receive a regular, unconditional sum of money. From the government regardless of their income or employment status now a couple of things are really important is all citizens um and that, that, that we'll get to why that's important in a second um i was then challenged on twitter to read a paper and i actually read the paper which i will hold up for you now so you can see my tabs uh the paper is actually a pretty decent look paper, at all the honest. highlights on that that's thing. right i actually read it it's all 36 pages of it double-sided um, and the paper is called, um, is there empirical evidence on how the implementation of a universal basic income affects labor supply as a systematic review? Um, now it's really important because on page seven of this paper, it says it's very difficult to evaluate UBI because the fact that no complete and long enough experiences of the sample has effectively ever happened. So a lot of the people who claim that there are benefits to the UBI, and I'll read the benefit, the supposed benefits in a second, um, are certain that there's um, this is going to happen. But the fact is, it's never actually happened. And I'll tell you why, because I've said at the beginning, all citizens need to get paid. So the study was done on something called conditional cash transfers. 
um, which you guys are all familiar with. If you're unemployed, you show that you're unemployed, or if you're disabled, you show that you're undisabled, or if you're got you know psychological issues or whatever it is, or if you're if you're um, an old age pensioner like like Keith, you know, you, you just show your your driver's license, you you and then you get a sort of money, and then there's unconditional cash transfers. All this stuff is called pseudo UBI. Um, and then the benefits that this gentleman told me are long. So I was strapped in on all the potential benefits. Um, no social stigma, primary earnings, spending more time looking for jobs, uh, more maternity leave, birth, weight, birth weights of children increase, more schooling, hospitalization rates fall, less crime, homeownerships, more fresh fruit and vegetables consumed, less alcohol and tobacco consumption. That's an interesting one. Improved cognitive function, increased, incre I mean, the list goes on and on. And, and the list is so long, it, it, it's it's laughable. And, and I would suggest that because... It is the way that this study was concluded that makes uh, that that's really, really important. So, um, you know, the paper goes on to say, although we have not found experiences on the application of UBI as defined above all citizens, there are some partial and limited partial studies that have occurred. Um, and I can go over some ones that are the right now, which I think are really interesting. Um and so basically the paper sort of reviewed some of these examples. Now, some of them actually make a lot of sense. So um, in Alaska, so maybe not everybody knows this, but Alaska has an incredible amount of oil. Um, and every month, I believe every single citizen of Alaska or every resident gets 2000 US dollar per month. Now, two things are important. Number one, that's not basic income. That's just a, a cash check of, I guess, you know, I would love 2000 bucks, but that's not basic income. Um, and, and, and number two, you know, the participation rate for Alaska is actually higher than, than it is for the rest of the United States, but unemployment is actually lower. So the claims that this paper make, which is about, you know, labor supply. And if you pay people, will they stay off, stay out of the labor force, um, et cetera, et cetera. It's, those are necessarily quite dubious. Now I'm not going to address the whole paper. I would suggest you read it. Um, but there are some really, really important issues that I think are worth noting is that a lot of the claims on those benefits have to do with the fact that when these studies are done, it's because they give people money, a small group of people. So for example, in, in Finland, it was 2000 people in Canada, it was 1000 people in India, it was like several villages. And in Kenya, it was the same thing. They don't give everyone money. And why this is important is I'll get to the sort of the track detractions from this, you know, later on. But so that's the first thing. Second thing is, yes, it's true. If you give a small amount of people a like some money, everyone will feel better. Who wouldn't want a thousand bucks here or a thousand bucks there? If you're poor, if you live in Namibia and someone gives you 500 bucks, or if you live in, you know, in Kenya and someone gives you a thousand bucks, like, yes, you will build, you will improve your home. You will send your children to school. You will buy more fruits and vegetables. No one is, I don't think anyone who is against UBI assumes that that's bad for you. The point really is, you know, there's no free lunch. Um, so number one, it's the cost of funding. So one of the things that they gloss over in this paper, and a lot of people gloss over is like all these experiments are done with outside funding. So the, the experiments in Namibia, India, Kenya, whatever, were paid for by private donors or be paid for by the IMF or all these other places. So yeah, of course, if you're poor and you live in a village and someone from the outside helicopters money into you, yes, you will improve your livelihood. 
And that's what we do already. I mean, that's what unemployment is. That's what, you know, people get uh, subsidies for electric vehicles. Like, you know, there's all kinds of cash handouts that people get in our current society. UBI is not that. UBI is giving everybody a universal basic income, a amount of money that basically will purport to support them for their lives. Can I keep going, boys? Okay. Still going? We're almost have there. Some questions. Sure. I I'm, so far, it actually sounds positive, right? I'm not hearing the negative. I know it sounds positive because yeah, yeah. I was, um, you know. Imagine if the three of us pool our funds and get the RV. <laughs> um, Sorry. So anyway, so like. so What does why... that have to do with UBI? <laughs> okay, I'm almost done. Let me just keep going. So, so, that, so that's, the, so that's, so it's all good. So if you just give poor people money, that's wonderful. The problem is that's not what UBI is. UBI is not just giving people who are in on dire straits cash so they can feed their children or go to school or get stop drinking alcohol or look for jobs. UBI is giving every single person in your society. So let's say um, everyone I've seen people over the age of 18, you know, in Canada, there's 40 million people, 30, 32 of them are over the age of 15. So, you know, so you're giving all these people, let's say $15,000, you know, because I guess that's how much you need to sort of have a subsistence level of, of income or whatever. So then that brings up the question of cost of funding. So, you know, th that example I just gave you, that's 16% of GDP. How is, are we supposed to afford that? If you give everybody 10% of, of, um, of uh, sorry, $10,000 a year, that's 10% of GDP. So again, it, it, one of the big failings is how is it funded? And again, all those studies are usually from outside. People who are, don't have a skin in the game or who are wealthy nations or wealthy organizations give those people and then they assess how those people are doing. And I'm not saying that if you give poor people cash, they won't feel better. That's not the issue. The issue is how do you, how will your economy react if you give everybody? And my second- So let's, answer, let's yeah. Uh, yeah, let's just- Slow down, sorry. Just bring excited. Rich back a bit in his chair. <laughs> Uh, and let's look at Canada here specifically. So let's let's just run through and say everyone is getting say fifteen thousand, sure, say twelve hundred bucks a month. Maybe is that quite yeah. it? But anyway, we go with that. Um, and you said, okay, what could go wrong with this? So yeah. my, what immediately jumps out to me are small business owners, and you're competing for labor. So so absolutely. the. Yeah, so the house, so the household income uh, level or population who really benefits from UBI are, are really the minimum wage workers. Am I wrong? Or I, I think I'm. Well, it just it makes sense initially. Yeah, initially, and then so I'm the small business owner, and all of a sudden, it's going to become even more expensive for me to hire people to come to work because they're already getting subsidized anyway. So now they're going to, there's going to be another percentage of the minimum wage workers who would just say, I'm not going to work at all. So now all of a sudden you have a labor shortage at the level of, because small businesses keep the economy moving all the time. So I, I see that as a negative for small business owners, their costs go up. So other than they have to raise prices to maintain their profit margins, or they just close up shop all, all together as well. Well, there's two things there. One is the incentive to work. And, and two is something called a crowding out. So what you're effectively doing is you, in order for, so a wage is just a price. And that price is basically the equilibrium between demand and supply in this case for labor. And if you just pay lots of people to not work, you will screw with those 
you know, theoretical curve. Now, people will say, oh, that's not true, whatever. And they and in the evidence presented in this paper is a survey, which I thought was really interesting, where they basically ask people, if we gave you lots of money, would you work or not? And of course, overwhelmingly, um, the, everyone says, oh, of course, I would still go to work. I'd still go to work. I would say, bullshit. <laughs> if someone gave me $50,000, I would feel a lot less incentivized to work. Uh, you know, I mean, I just would. I mean, it would be very, very difficult to, to I, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe. I, anyway, so I thought that was really interesting. So is this I, the ultimate, you know, you know, the pendulum swings back and forth. And, and I would argue on a whole socialism spectrum, we're pretty far. Does this mean we've reached peak socialism in, in the Western world or is it going to go further? Well, I don't I can't speak to that, but there's two, two more things, boys. And I swear I, I, I'm almost done. But like, so the, the other thing I think is really, really there's. Three more problems with this that I think are really important. One is inflation. And people say it's not inflationary. But again, those experiments were done on super small scales. They were given to a village in a country, 200 people in a city. It was not properly done. If you subsidize everybody, you subsidize nobody. All you do is you lift the price of everything, whatever percentage, and everyone just goes about their daily businesses, um, and so that's a and that's the lesson that Steve, you aligned from Serb. You, you sure the first mover might appreciate that they get to spend that extra money in the first week, but then everyone just lifts their prices, and you're you know the, the um, just because it's your you buy a microphone for three hundred dollars. Next week, it's $325. It's still one microphone. It's not that the, you, you haven't bought more for your, your goods. It's that your, the money is worth less. So that's really important. Number two is it's a re, the redistribution of wealth. The critics, of you, um, critics argue that it's the most of, effective way of um, dealing with income inequality. I've said this very a lot. It's not about income inequality. It's asset inequality. That's the issue. And then finally, I would argue it's immoral. Why are you giving you know money bags um, Keith the same amount of money that you're giving to someone who actually needs it? A single mother, a disabled per a veteran, or what have you? And so like there's there's a lot of you know issues. And the, the, ultimately, it does to not. Be clear, I don't think morals come into this. In, in, I think it does because that's no, but that's their argument, right? I'm using their their. Standard. I think overall though, it, overall they tie it up. If you get aggregate income is increasing for the country because the free money that's going right. out, it doesn't increase aggregate supply. So therefore, demand is more than supply. Prices go up, and then what's the Bank of Canada going to do then? Right. I mean, yeah, the shooters. I don't even again, know why right? this what is even a debate. Gonna... We literally just ran through this basic <laughs> know, experiment but... <laughs> over the last twenty-four months, and it, it... like this but doesn't it was even call the... something different, Steve. If you put a different name on it with more lipstick, man, it looks good. Guys, hey, see, wrap it up. I know, I know, I need to wrap it up, but it, it's really like it's really appealing to just say, say the like things that sound great are often terrible, terrible ideas. The problems with Canada are cost, as I see it, are cost of housing, terrible productivity growth, inflation, corruption, and in order to alleviate all of these issues, handing people checks does none of the things that it's purported to do. The only way that you can help poor people and emancipate the working class is through productivity growth. And if you listen to the Looney Hour for long enough, you know, the only thing that matters in life is productivity growth. That's how you help poor people. That's how you emancipate the working class. And that is how you help. Uh, I don't know what else. There's definitely I don't know, thing. Rich. It sounds to That's me it. like a chore will buy a lot of votes coming up. This <laughs> is uh... Anyways, there it goes. Thank you for letting me do that rant. I apologize for putting... if I missed anything.
Um, yeah, thanks for putting up with Rich and his his uh, his rant here. We'll call it Rich's corner for this. Do you know week. what I think, Steve? <laughs> I think I think we kick Rich out of the van. No, I promise. You're out of the RV, man. No, we can't listen to that for hours on end when we're I driving. I tried to do it fast. You guys always. I tried to do it quickly. So if I spoke no, too no, fast, we, it's not uh, my we fault. do we do appreciate you reading those thirty five odd pages. Thirty seven, double 37. sided. <laughs> so there you go. With uh, despite <laughs> all that, um, you know, Rich, um, you know, we'll, we'll have you back next week. <laughs> and um, yeah, so there you go. Uh, as always, guys, um, just a reminder uh, to wrap it up here. Uh, the Toronto event for November thirtieth. Tickets are going on sale as of your time. If you're listening to this podcast, they're on sale. So go and uh, check out in the show notes, uh, whether you're on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, et cetera. Now there'll be a link there to an Eventbrite page where you can purchase tickets on a first come first served basis. And um, there you have it. We'll see you next week.